The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Growing up can be hard enough, but it gets even harder when you have to fight against a ghost child, causing constant chaos wherever you go. And then we take a look at the story of the world's worst chef who gets laid off and finds himself struggling to keep his head above water. But when he discovers a side hustle, he realizes that now he can get out of debt. Now he can live the life that he truly deserves. The only issue with it is for him to succeed. A lot of people have to die. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. I hope you guys are having a great day, too. I hope you guys are having tons of fun doing whatever you're doing. Quick reminder, i got to start doing these like every other episode. I will be at the Oregon Ghost Conference coming up in Seaside, Oregon. You can come and see me live. It's going to be absolutely awesome. Let me get you the dates here real quick. March 22nd through the 24th, 2024 in Seaside, Oregon, I will be giving a presentation. I don't remember what the title was, but off the top of my head, I I need to plan this better. But come out and see me. It's going to be an awesome presentation. We're going to be talking about questions like I talk on this show. Can ghosts tell time? Can the dead learn new information? You guys know all that weird stuff that I think about and pontificate during the show. I'm going to be giving a presentation on that. The presentation that I'm giving will be at 10 a.m. on March 23rd, Saturday morning, 10 a.m. But I will be there Friday night and Saturday all day at my booth. So even if you missed the presentation, I hope to see you. Swing on by. We'll shake hands. I'll give you a sticker. We'll have lots of fun. Really, really hope that you guys come out. But someone who doesn't need to come out there... Because they're already in Dead Rabbit Radio Command, although they should still come out. It would be nice to see you in person. Walking into Dead Rabbit Radio Command right now, everyone get on your feet and give it up for Melancholy Holiday. Woohoo! Yeah! Wee! <laughs> yeah, walking on in. All sad into Dead Rabbit Radio Command. A little melancholy. Melancholy Holiday shared their Spotify wrapped on their social networks. That's a great way to promote the show. I always say if you can't promote the show financially through the Patreon or YouTube memberships or the merch store or anything like that, just help spread the word about the show. Tell your friends, tell your family, tell everyone you know. Dead Rabbit Radio is your favorite paranormal show. That's another great way to help the show grow. Really, really appreciate it. Melancholy, let's go ahead and get this party started. I'm going to go ahead and toss you the hair hang glider. Climb up to the highest point of Dead Rabbit Radio Command and jump off as we're holding onto your ankles. Glide us all the way out to a young boy's house. Nice, leisurely glide out to this kid's house. I'm I'm recording this episode like at 9.30 at night. I'm ready to go to bed. 
Hopefully I don't fall asleep while I'm recording it. That was the sound of my Diet Pepsi being opened. Yummy, yummy, yummy. I love me some Diet Pepsi. The choice of a new generation. We're headed out to the home of this boy. The year is 2008. And we're going to meet this kid. Let's call him Josh. He didn't give his real name. We'll call him Josh. He's five years old. And we see him walking around his house. And he's like a little skittish. A little skittish. We see him kind of like poking his head around a corner and being like, Phew. And he walks in the living room and he sits down on the couch and he freezes for a second. Then he looks under the couch. Phew. He looks behind the couch. <laughs> he has a breathing problem. He has a little respirator. That's what making those noises. He's like that kid from Malcolm in the Middle. Every so often we hear him go, Phew. like he's like calm. He's realized that. Nothing's behind him. Nothing's underneath the couch. And that's when he goes, Ah, you know what I forgot? I forgot to get a snack for my favorite television show, Blue's Clues, or whatever garbage I watch. I'm a kid. He hops up off the couch, and he starts walking into the kitchen. And that was his bad. He shouldn't have done that. Because when he walks into the kitchen, he sees the boy. Josh, since he was five years old, has been plagued with this ghost child who follows him around. He looks and he sees this kid. He estimates he's about nine years old. Definitely older than Josh. He recognizes him as an older child. And the ghost boy is standing there in the kitchen. And it startles Josh, right? You don't assume to see the souls of the damned. Well, Josh does. Josh has been seeing this guy pretty regularly, but it still shocks him. And not only does the vision of the boy shock him, right? When he goes, <gasps> right? When Josh is startled by seeing the spirit of this dead kid, all of a sudden, all the dishes up in the cabinet come flying out of the cabinet and smash across the kitchen floor. So you don't just have the visual, like, I talk about this all the time. If you woke up in the middle of the night, you saw a little girl, ghost girl, standing at the foot of your bed. You're going to pee your pants. It's going to be the creepiest thing you've probably ever had happen to you in your life. Now, imagine if she did that. Imagine if you woke up in the middle of the night, there was a ghost girl standing at the foot of your bed. And then you're surrounded by the sound of a dozen broken dishes smashing to the floor. You have the horrific visual. Proof of life after death is cool and all, but you <laughs> maybe you just want to see it once or twice. You don't want it constantly in your house, especially if it's smashing stuff. It's the startling sound that freaks you out. This is the life that Josh has. And Josh goes, listen, I lived a pretty chaotic life. My childhood was pretty crazy, <laughs> not including the ghost. The ghost was adding to it. He goes, in fact... What I started to realize was the more stressed out I got, the more often I would see the boy. But I would see the boy, and that would stress me out even more because I don't want to see this ghost kid. And the ghost kid was, I won't say always accompanied, but most of the time was accompanied by something smashing or falling. He goes, dishes falling off the table, Spilling out of a cabinet, toys tumbling down. That's much better than that's much better than dishes breaking. Your Optimus Prime can roll down a little hill. Loud noises coming from places in the house. You know, it would be super chaotic. It would it'd be a, a terrible place 
to grow up in. And, and you know what's interesting is this is a story where it is very chicken egg, right? What comes first, the stress or the ghost? Is this ch- five years old is pretty young to begin experiencing, you know, because some poltergeists, they are, it's activity from an entity that is quite powerful. It's able to manipulate items in the physical world. However, something we don't talk about a lot on this show, something that's kind of fallen out of vogue even in the paranormal community, I don't hear much talk about it in general, is this idea that as kids are going through puberty, there are some that become um, psychokinetic. They're able to move things with their mind, telekinesis. They have these abilities that they have for a brief period of time. And normally that is during puberty and briefly before puberty starts. Five years old would be really, really early to have this ability because you think, is it the ghost boy smashing stuff around or is it Josh? Is he developing some sort of telekinesis that's making all this stuff fly around? If he was a little bit older, I would go more that angle. But, you know, who knows? He might have this ability might be an innate ability he can't control and as his life is becoming more stressful it's a straight up tetsuo from akira moment where he can't control his own powers and life is becoming stressful and he's smashing dishes with his mind could be could be that but he's a little young for that and really all of this this chicken egg argument really isn't helping josh at the time he just wants it to go away he just really really wants it to go away So eventually they move. Part of the chaotic upbringing he had is they were constantly moving. But the ghost would follow him. Even when everyone packed up and they left the old house, Josh is probably like, oh my God, I'm so glad. I'm so glad we're leaving behind that haunted house. A little ghost boy's gone. Once things got chaotic in their new place, the ghost boy would show back up and begin his reign of terror once again scaring him now he doesn't go into a a extreme amount of detail like if the ghost boy is popping out from under the bed going boo like actually scaring him trying to scare him or if it was that he was just seeing the ghost boy and that was enough i would argue for most children that would be enough just seeing the ghost would be enough but he goes even though we moved houses the ghost boy was always with me i couldn't get rid of him And none of his other family members saw him. They would see all the dishes broken. They would see these messes and hear these noises. But nobody else saw the ghost boy. Until one point, Josh was living with his grandmother for a period of time. And she saw the boy. She saw the boy as well. And Josh finally has an ally in this fight. An adult. An adult who should know how to help take care of this, or just what's going on, what's happening. Because for a period of time, he was thinking, well, maybe this is an imaginary friend. I other, I hear other kids talk about imaginary friends. Maybe this is just an imaginary friend. Now, normally, you don't lose control of an imaginary friend. They just don't smash stuff. But he doesn't know. He hears kids at school and adults talk about imaginary friends. He goes, well, maybe that's what this is. <laughs> As dish, dish shrapnel is flying towards him, Maybe this is just imaginary friend. But when his grandmother starts to see it, he goes, okay, so there is something to this. I'm not losing my mind, because that's another thing he was concerned about. Not losing my mind. It's not an imaginary friend. My grandma sees it, but his grandmother 
never wanted to talk about it. So I don't know how it initially came to be that he learned his grandmother had seen the boy, seen this ghost. But he said, my grandmother never wanted to talk about it. She was pretty religious. And so she felt like this ghost, talking about this ghost or entertaining the thought that this place was haunted was counter to her religion. So she just kind of shut it down. She didn't want to talk about it. But he does now know there's another person who can see this child. And this goes on from the age of five until he turns 13. At this point, he's older than the ghost boy. The ghost boy's never aged. It's always been this nine-year-old boy. Appears to be nine. That was his estimate. That was his estimate. But now that Josh is 13, the ghost boy vanishes. Never sees him again. All the phenomenon stops. End of story. Which is, again, an interesting age for it to stop, because that is, you know, boys start... When do boys start puberty? Or I was an early bloomer. I think I started mine, like, at 11. Uh, or maybe that's when they normally do. But generally, it's in, like, around 13. 12, 14, start puberty. So it's kind of the inverse of what we see normally this activity. If it is mental powers that Josh has access to, normally it would start around 13. But not in this case. He stopped seeing the boy. Until around three weeks ago. He said, I turned 13. I stopped seeing the boy. And it was over with. But on February 2nd, 2024. I'm at home. I'm living with my family. I'm 21 years old now. Josh said he was in his bedroom, and he saw the boy. Because I hadn't seen this guy in eight years. But there he is. There he is, and he walks past my bedroom, towards the kitchen, and then continues to walk until he's out of sight. Not that he disappeared, not that he vanished, he just kind of turned a corner. And Josh is immediately, once again, this five-year-old. He is overcome with fear. And now that he's an adult and he can think of all these different options, he's thinking, oh my god, I'm psychotic. Which as a boy, he figured something wasn't right. But now as an adult, he can actually put words to that. I'm losing my mind. I was always insane. And I'm insane now. And I'm watching this ghost appear that I haven't seen in eight years walk by. I must be losing my mind. He's terrified. He's worried. He doesn't even know what to think. When he said about ten seconds after that ghost boy walked down the hallway and out of sight. He heard his younger brother yell out, Did you hear that? Did you hear that? Josh, oh my God, did you hear that? And Josh hadn't heard anything. His younger brother runs up and tells him, Oh, Josh, did you hear that? Oh my God, dude, I was just sitting there and all of a sudden I heard this huge noise coming from the basement. Sound like someone knocked over a bunch of stuff, and I swear to God, dude, I heard someone talking down there. There ain't nobody down there, dude. 
what what happened? What was that? Did you hear that? Did you hear that? And Josh is just terrified. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know what to think. He does say he has not been into the basement since this happened. And again, very, very recent, right? Three weeks ago, he had this encounter after eight years and not having to deal with this. He posted it online underneath the name NoMud3366. You know what's funny is actually, I think now that I think about it, I think he took the post down. <laughs> I think he took the post down. But, um, you know, I have, I archive all the stuff because a lot of paranormal stuff does disappear on the internet. <laughs> not because of ghosts trying to erase their tracks, but he did delete it. Um, but we'll see if he does any follow-up stuff. That definitely would be alarming to have this constant presence in your household and that just making things worse. You never feel safe. And then it stop. That's good. But then for it to start back up, you would wonder what is going to happen. It's bad enough when you're a kid and dishes are smashing, but for all I know, this guy is a forklift driver at the home Depot and he's going to be hauling all this fertilizer around. He sees the ghost boy walk by and he's like, Oh no. And then at that point, an entire palm tree display falls over and kills a coworker. He can work in an optometrist and he's like looking at somebody's eyes. He's like one or two, one or two doing that whole eyeball test. And he sees the ghost boy walk in and the next thing, you know, the patient's eyes burst. <laughs> it could get bad. It could get bad. We don't know what his job is. He's an airline pilot. He's like, I'm flying around. Wee! He's flying. Maybe that's why all, the, <laughs> all those Boeing 747s are falling apart. He it does. He works for an airline company, and the ghost boy is, like, getting on each plane. Who knows? But a terrifying story, and it do, would suck, because you would start to think, finally, some peace. So this is over. After a terrible childhood of this ghost causing constant chaos, he just shows up again one day unannounced. And it's not like Josh said, oh, you know, I've been getting stressed out lately because of college or anything like that, <laughs> or because I was flying a plane and the door blew off 30,000 feet up into the air. It's just the ghost is back. And he goes, it hasn't aged. The dude hasn't aged today, <laughs> which kind of makes sense for a ghost. But a terrifying story nonetheless. Melancholy holiday. Let's go ahead and toss you the keys to the world famous carpenter copter. We are leaving behind this home, Josh. We wish you the best. We hope that if you're a pilot, um, you let everybody know, or maybe just take a couple months off work. You're in a job that can get a lot of people killed if something falls over or falls off. Maybe take a bit of a break. We're leaving behind, Josh. Melancholy, fly us all the way out to. Canada. First off, I want to give a shout out to Luke Rinaldi. He's a journalist for Toronto Life. He wrote an amazing article about this man we're about to look at. We're headed out to Canada. Specifically, we're going to Mississauga. That's in Ontario, Canada. We're about to meet a man named Kenneth Law. He's in his mid-50s when this story starts in the mid-2010s. So we're going to meet this guy. 
2015, 2018, in that little time period there. And Kenneth Law is described by his friends as a braggart. Not someone that you really want to hang out with. Don't know how many friends this guy has. But he'd brag about a lot of stuff. And sure enough, we're kind of watching him from the bushes. We're kind of observing Kenneth go about his business. Right now, we're seeing him walk into this hotel to start his job as a chef. But even then, he's like, you know what, guys? As he's putting on his chef hat and putting on his white chef coat. He's like, you know what, guys? This cooking thing is kind of lame. You tell me. You tell me. I bet you I'm a better cook than any of you. And everyone's like, I'm not kidding. (laughs) Imagine having to work with this guy. I bet you I could scramble an egg without even using a spatula. Or a griddle. He's the power of my mind. Cook an egg. I can actually scramble it while it's still inside a chicken's butt. With my mind. He's all shaking chickens. He's all shaking chickens. They're like, Kenneth, please stop doing that. Now, that's not, that's a bit of an exaggeration, but Kenneth has this weird setup to his life. Kenneth bragged about a lot of stuff, but some of it was deserved. He actually had a degree, an industrial engineering degree from University of Toronto. He had an MBA from Yorl University. That's kind of like the dollar store version of York College, York University, Yorl. He ended up working in the tech sector for a while. He worked for a British aerospace firm. So that's pretty big jobs, right? He's sitting there, he's looking at airplanes. <laughs> he's like, I can scramble everyone in that airplane with the power of my mind. They're all, what are you talking about? He's just staring at planes. He's like, ah, it flew away before they all got melted. It all looks great on paper, but nobody believed him. Like, I mean, if they saw his MBA, he's holding up the diploma. He's like, look, look, I got it. Yeah, Kenneth, you got it. But he would just brag about dumb stuff. He always said he was on the cusp of doing this huge, he's got like all these irons in the hot and he's going to have this big plan. We all know people like this. We all know people like this. They're planners, not doers. A lot of people are like this. And the goal is to move from the planning stage, the dreaming stage, to the doing stage. It's okay to dream, but you want to start putting an emotion out. <laughs> However, I would say Kenneth Law probably should have stayed in the dreaming phase. You'll understand why as we get more into this story. Because this is a real story. He would tell his friends he was like some high-powered CEO, or he was going to be a CEO soon, or he was having these meetings with all this stuff, and they're like, dude, shut up. You're a chef at a hotel. And that was true. He thought he was making this ascendancy through society. He has all these degrees, but things just don't work out for him. Part of it, most of it is probably his personality. Even though he has these degrees, he doesn't continue to work for the aerospace firm. He doesn't continue to work in the tech sector. As he's in his 50s, he has a job at the Fairmont Royal York. Which makes me think that I misspelled York. I don't think there is a Yorl University. I think I might have misspelled that. Because, well, anyways, 
Uh, yeah, you, he probably went to York University, but anyways, he is uh, working at the Fairmont Royal York. It's this fancy hotel, super fancy hotel, and he's terrible at it. He's the worst chef possible. One of the quotes in this article I read by Luke Rinaldi, one of the quotes was one of his coworkers said, quote, law couldn't even make tomato sauce. Which I, I would assume it's just mashed tomatoes and a little bit of seasoning. He couldn't even make tomato sauce. He had to be trained and then retrained and trained over again. And they kept trying to get him to be able to not only make edible food because he wouldn't cook it right. He couldn't cook chicken. He kept serving it undercooked. You have, you're, you're working at a hotel. It's a very busy environment. He's terrible at it. He also couldn't take any criticism. Now, he had just started this job. He's awful at it. His boss is trying to like help him out, being like, hey, Ken, you know, we really like you, but you gave <laughs> a bunch of people salmonella. You have to learn how to cook food before you serve it to other humans. And Ken would get really upset. He could not take criticism well, could not take constructive criticism. And really, the boss was like, you know what, this guy's on probation in three months. You know, that's the 90-day probationary period. We'll just get rid of him at that point. I mean, it is good to have another set of hands in the kitchen. We're really busy. It's bad that he keeps making everybody sick. Well, anyways, after the three months, they said, um, we're going to fire you. Because Ken wasn't getting along with his co-workers. He thought he was better than everyone else. He thought he was too good even to work in the position as a cook in this hotel. He thought it was beneath him. <laughs> Considering your boss is also a chef. Probably not a good attitude to have. They go to fire him and he actually goes, he gets the union involved and they fight to keep him. So they could not fire him. The probationary period tactic did not work. He protested his firing. The union got behind him and they just kept him on. But he was so bad at his job, they go, well, we can't have him serving food to the customers. But what we can have him do, there's actually another cook job we can have him do is have him prepare food for the staff, <laughs> people working at the hotel. Ken, he's sending food up to these guests. People are paying customers to come in here. The food's disgusting. It's not cooked right. We don't want our customers to be mad. Let's have him prepare food for the staff. At this point, he had literally gone through like every possible station. They're like, can you cut vegetables? He can't cut vegetables. Can you make soup? He can't make soup. He can't do anything. They go, finally, we're just going to put you in the cooks who cook for the staff. And what happened was the staff obviously became very unhappy. They knew what a buffoon he was. This was their meal. And it got to the point where on the days where Kenneth worked, none of the staff ate the, <laughs> ate the food there that day. They would prepare a bunch of food and no one would eat it. They would just bring bag lunches or go to Subway or whatever. And eventually the bosses are like, wait, a, wait, how come no one's eating here? We have all this fancy hotel food. And the workers are like, because Ken's working today. And it's gross. I mean, unless you want me to call in sick the next couple days. So finally they say, is there a job we can give Ken that doesn't involve him cooking at all? He's so 
terrible at it. He's so slow. He's sloppy. He has very little work ethic here. Is there something that fits that perfectly? And what they do is they give him the job of preparing these cheese platters. So he doesn't he doesn't cook anything. He doesn't ferment the milk and make the cheese himself. He takes the cheese, he unwraps it, he organizes out. He organizes it out. Someone orders room service and asks for a cheese platter. That's what you get. You cannot do this wrong, and you cannot mess up setting cheese on a plate. And he actually enjoyed this. It was so low effort. It was such a low effort job. It required really no brain power. He really, really enjoyed it. So perfect, right? He gets to keep his job. No one else has to eat his food. He doesn't even have to cook. He's just preparing these food trays, and he is fine with that. At this point, he's in his mid-50s. And at this point, it's 2020. At this point, he's in his early 50s, mid-50s. At this point, everything is going well for Ken. At this point, it's 2020. It's early 2020. I don't know if you guys remember that time period very well. It's four years ago, but... There wasn't a lot of tra- <laughs> there wasn't a lot of traveling going on. The world was locked down due to COVID. People were not going to hotels. And this was the perfect opportunity to get rid of Ken. The hotel, the kitchen did shut down. The hotel kind of goes into that life support mode. A lot of places did this, but it was the perfect time. Now they 100% had a reason to get rid of Ken. And all of his hijinks. And he's unemployed. Now probably a lot of other people were as well. But I'm sure when they were fighting to save people's jobs. And be like no we really need Terry here. No when this is over it will be over soon. We want Jim back in the kitchen. <laughs> probably we're just not even mentioning Ken. Just get rid of him. So after COVID hits he finds himself in a terrible position. All he owned was a little bit of furniture. A Lincoln Town car, which is pretty nice, right? And he was $134,000 in debt. Which I imagine, I don't know, it could be a lot of student loans, but I imagine that when people are braggarts, when they're full of hot air, they also have a tendency to live outside of their means because that helps convince others that, oh, that guy's actually a big shot. He has a really nice watch. He always has nice shoes on. A Lincoln Town car. He probably outspent what he was bringing in to be a symbol, to be this guy that he thought he was. He thought he was better than everyone else, so he probably lived a little bit better than everybody else, even though he didn't have the means to do that. Now he's unemployed. He has $134,000 in debt. And he's sitting at home. He doesn't have a place to stay, which is something, right? He's sitting at home... And he's thinking, there has to be a way for me to make money. And this is interesting because I read a lot of articles to find out a lot about Kenneth Law. First, I found a lot of articles talking about his victims. There's no other way to describe them but victims. But what I loved about the article written by Luke Rinaldi is that this was the first article that delved into the life of Ken. 
But even then, there's a few things left out. Thank you, Luke. It's a fantastic article. Even then, there's a few things left out. I don't know why he makes the leap from I need to make some money to what he does. I don't know. I know why he does it because it's very, very marketable and he saw a need in a... um, And he saw, for lack of a better term, a need, a want in the market. But I don't know why, what led him to these discoveries. What, What he had put together in his brain was that, one, a while back, his mother was dying. She had a stroke, and that should have been the end of her, but Ken's father kept her on life support for way too long. In Ken's attitude, he goes, it was horrible that my mother had the stroke, but we should have just let her die with dignity instead of keeping her on life support for all that time. People should be able to choose when they are going to die. That was the first thing that was in his head. Two, because he was a cook, he was familiar with all of these different things that you would use in the kitchen. And it was an industrial kitchen. They were providing food not just for the staff, but for everyone who came to just get a bite to eat in the restaurant, as well as all of the customers. So when you have that much, you're an industrial kitchen, you're putting out that much food, he knows where to buy products that are used to, say, preserve meat. There's a meat preservative called sodium nitrate. You can buy it in bulk. He knew where to get it from. You can get it from any vendor. It's not regulated. And even if it was regulated, he knows how to present himself as a chef. He may have even had credentials to allow him to buy it in bulk. So he knows that his mother should have been allowed to die with dignity. He believes everyone should be able to choose the time to do that. He has access. He knows where to get sodium nitrate in bulk. And he knows that sodium nitrate is the newest, quote-unquote, painless version of suicide going around on the internet. Now, I don't know. This is why I'm curious about. I don't know. Again, a chicken and an egg thing was one night Kenneth Law looking online and it came across an article maybe about suicide methods or maybe he was on 4chan and someone was talking about sodium nitrate. Maybe he was on a legit news website and heard about people using this chemical. I don't know how he figured out that this was something that was already becoming a meme in the suicide community. The suicide websites where people wanted advice on how to kill themselves. Because those exist. Those 100% exist, and we'll run into a couple of them during this episode. I don't know how he made that connection, but somehow... Because it never says that he's suicidal. I don't think at any point he was suicidal. But he realizes that sodium nitrate is being talked about on these internet forums that are for people who want to kill themselves and they want to do it painlessly. And he finds out that a lot of them are trying to use sodium nitrate. He realizes that he can buy it in bulk. The sodium nitrate, according to the report, I'm not saying use this stuff. It sounds very painful. But according to reports, you take it and it's quote-unquote painless. What it does is it stops your red blood cells from delivering oxygen. You suffocate from the inside out.
But where are you going to get it? Well, Kenneth Law realized that he can get it in bulk and then sell it all over the world. For a kilogram of sodium nitrate, $15. He would sell 50 grams of it for $59. He was buying it and uh, he was buying a kilogram of it for $15, selling 50 grams of it for $59. And what he did was he started all these shell companies. One of them was known as I'm Time Cuisine. So it's a food company. That's how he was hiding this. You were basically buying it from a food company to preserve meat. But you were really using it to kill yourself. And you go, well, Jason, maybe people were buying it to preserve meat. No, no, he was actually going to internet forums where people talked about suicide methods and he was advertising himself. And other people began to advertise for him as well. Being like, oh yeah, no. I mean, definitely it's not people who have used the product. But people start to go, yeah, you know, if you need to get this stuff, you can order it from I'm Time. It'll show up right away. I'm Time Cuisine. And what he would do is he's selling you a food preservative. He's not selling you a suicide method. It's completely legal. He also included a bottle of hot sauce in the box to complete the food preparation cover. He sets up multiple storefronts, multiple businesses that are selling this stuff all over these forums where people are talking about killing themselves. Money begins to pour in through this scheme. Every single day he's selling multiple kits. He's shipping stuff out all over the world. 50 grams of sodium nitrate and a hot sauce bottle. Now, what is happening all over the world is parents knocking on the door of their son, their 16-year-old son. Hey, Jimmy, Jimmy, you're going to be late for school, Jimmy. Jimmy, open up. This kid always sleeps in. Jimmy? Jimmy, wait, Jimmy, wake up. Jim, Jim, wake up. Jim. People were using this to kill themselves. That's why he was selling it. And parents all over the world began finding these children, their children, dead. Now, it wasn't just teens that were using it, adults were using it, but most of the articles that we see, we just have parent after parent after parent talking about them finding their child dead in their bedroom. And, of course, you're going to ask a million questions. What happened? How did they die? Was this suicide? You're trying to figure everything out, and you do, unfortunately, find out it is suicide. Why? Why did my kid did this? How did they do it? Was this a drug overdose? And during these questions, right, trying to figure out what happened, parents would find in their room a box. A box shipped out from Canada that has I'm Time Cuisine on it, or one of the many other names he used, and a bottle of hot sauce. A bottle of hot sauce and an empty bag that previously held sodium nitrate. 
Kenneth Law sold 1,200 kits across 40 countries between 2020 and 2023. 1,200 kits across 40 countries he shipped out. And what's happening is these parents, I mean, obviously, it's a legit package. There's a return address. There's contact information. They end up contacting Canadian police. They end up contacting the police in Ontario. And the Ontario police say, yeah, we know. We know what's going on. And they're like, well... Oh, do you guy do you have this guy in prison? He murdered my kid. He assisted in their suicide. And the police said, "We know who he is, but technically he hasn't broken any laws." Because in Canada, they have that stupid MAID program, which I know people find super controversial. They don't like it when I badmouth it. MAID is medically assisted uh, decency and death or whatever the acronym is. Basically, it is state-sponsored suicide. Now, here's the thing. You're dying of cancer. You're dying of some sort of incurable disease. Every moment is suffering. I do not believe that you have to live out your last months or weeks or whatever in pain and, and just absolutely drowning in despair i don't think that but the maid program in canada very famously there was a female veteran a paralympian who asked her insurance she was a canadian veteran she asked the uh, veterans association of there to pay for a ramp on her house so she could get in and out of her house easier in her wheelchair instead she was given a brochure on maid and she said that had happened to other people in her same situation, in the, in the same situation, other uh, handicapped people, when they asked for certain benefits, really any benefits, they instead were being promoted. Why don't you just kill yourself? Like, here's the MAID program. It's super easy. And Canada started to really relax the rules where now it's not just um, disease, like a, an incurable disease will allow you to apply for MAID. Now, if you're depressed or if you have a mental illness, you can apply for MAID. And there's talk of dropping the age range to 16. Uh, That's horrific to me. I will never make anyone live in agony. They have an incurable disease. But to tell a 16-year-old who's suffering clinical depression that they can kill themselves and the state will allow it. And it's like, it can be anywhere from months, right? To some people, they say two weeks, two weeks from the time they made the appointment to the time they were um, put under. I'll put all those links in the show notes. So Canada's like, listen, they have a very, very liberal view, not politically liberal, but liberal in the sense that anything goes, view towards assisted suicide. They go, but we don't let, it is against the law to promote for a um, commoner or a member of the public to assist in the suicide. It has to be done through a medical professional for now. Well, who knows what they'll have in the future. It'll basically become purge, the purge Canada. But they said, he's not telling them how to kill themselves. He's not even telling them. He's not sending instructions on how to use it or anything like that. He's just selling them sodium nitrate in a hot sauce bottle. 
He is advertising on suicide forums, but he's not breaking the law because he's not a member of the public assisting in their suicide. He's not telling them how to use it. He's just selling them that. And in Canada, they go, that's not against the law. We have no reason to arrest him. It's illegal to counsel or aid someone dying outside of their MAID program, but he's not doing that. He's just selling sodium nitrate. Well, of course, this doesn't sit well with people anywhere on the planet. And parents are really getting ready to basically just go over his return address. It's like a P.O. box. You just got to wait outside the post office and wait till he shows on up wearing the chef hat. What happened is in Britain, this is all kind of coming to a head. 2022, 2023, these bodies are piling up. There's a British father who lost his son. There's a British father named David Parfett. His son commits suicide using the sodium nitrate stuff from Kenneth Law. He begins talking to the British police. He's like, you guys got to do something about this. Like, it's not just my son. People are using these forms and they're buying this stuff from this guy in Canada. And they're killing themselves. He's assisting people in killing themselves. You got to do something about this. He's talking to the British police. He's talking to politicians. He's trying to let the world know that he needs to be brought to justice. But the British police are like, well, you know, it's out of our jurisdiction. Yes, your son did kill himself, but, you know, we talked to the Ontario police and that. A couple months later, another British kid commits suicide using one of Kenneth Law's kits. And at that point, the coroner goes, hey, guys, listen, I know I don't tell you don't tell me how to do my job. I don't tell you how to do your job, but I'm telling you, you need to put some pressure on this. You need to start really going after this guy. This is going to get way worse before it gets better. You guys got to you guys got to figure out something. David Parfett goes to the Times in London, there's a newspaper, the Times. He goes there and he tells him about what's going on. He goes, listen, my son committed suicide. And I know that's tragic. Every It's tragic to any parent or anyone who knows someone. Or even if you don't know him, it's always tragic when you hear about it. But this is bigger than that. There's a guy selling these kits in Canada. His name is Kenneth Law. And all of this stuff, right? At this point... You can find out. Type in I'm Time Cuisine. It's popping up in search results. Probably take you right back to those web forums. People are realizing this is a big problem. It's not just about their kid. David Parfit goes to the newspaper and he's telling them about this. So James Beale, an editor for the Times, contacts Kenneth Law as a customer. He says that he wants to buy one of these kits. And during this conversation he has with Kenneth, I don't know if it was email or over the phone, but during this conversation he has with Kenneth, Kenneth says, oh yeah, no, you can totally use this to kill yourself. This is how you take it. This is how it works. Would you like to buy some? So that is against the law. That is against the law in Canada. He was selling it as a suicide kid. He specifically said, you know, there might be a huge war in Europe and you don't want to be part of that, right? So just in case, right, you can have this ready to go. You don't need to take it right now, but if things get even worse, take it 
will be completely peaceful. Would you like to buy some? And he was telling James Beale how it works, how to take it. That's illegal. That's breaking the law. So the Times ends up contacting Canada and says, listen, this guy is admitting to it. This guy is telling people, this is how you kill yourself. This is how you use my product. Are you going to do anything about it? <laughs> and before you answer, the uh, the newspaper tells the police in Ontario, before you answer, we're going to let you know. We're running an article about this. So two things are going to happen. You're going to arrest the guy. We can add a little paragraph at the top saying this guy's been arrested. Everything's fine. And then we run the article. Or we run the article and we say Ontario police has been notified and they've done nothing. Ontario police did nothing. The Times ends up running the article one week after that article was published, May 2nd, 2023. Kenneth Law was arrested and charged with 14 murders in Canada. It's an absolutely bizarre story. I mean, it, it, it's it's this is one of those stories that in a way I feel could only happen in the internet age. It truly is a digital crime. Like, I guess you could sell stuff like it, like old-timey telegraph. Um, buying ads in newspapers. It could definitely be done regional, but for a man to sell 1,200 kits... They do believe, so they believe he's responsible for up to 124 deaths. That's what they believe he's responsible for. He shipped out 1,200, as far as they know, he shipped out 1,200 kits, maybe more. He shipped them out to 40 different countries, there may be more. That was based on all of the journalists looking into this building, this case against him. The Ontario police weren't going to do anything. They were told that this was going on. They did nothing. Then they were told, oh, he's actually breaking the law and he's giving advice on how to use this. And they still didn't do anything. It took the journalists and the families coming forward and telling people what was going on for Ontario to police go, oh, yeah, you know, we'll arrest him. He's 58 now. He, they haven't even had the trial yet. He's like, can I get bailed? <laughs> no, dude, you killed... You killed 124 people via mail. No, you don't get bail. But I have very, very little faith in the Canadian justice system. I'll be honest, I don't have much faith in the American justice system. But I would take it over Canada or even Britain. Britain, man, is just awful. But it's all bad. But you can always hope for a spark of justice to shine through, even in the most corrupt of systems. The fact that the Ontario police let this guy operate for years, knowing the toll, knowing the human lives that were being lost, it's just, it's just shocking. Like, here's the thing. There's different ways that cops can operate. One is they can, one, they could have done that, right? They could have set up a sting where they pretended to be a customer. They could have done this in 2021, 2022, pretended to be a customer and saw that he actually was giving advice. And they could have nabbed him way earlier. It took a journalist in Britain to do that. When the Ontario police could have done that, right when they heard that this was a problem. They didn't. 
There's also the type of law enforcement, and I'm old school, right? I'm 47 years old, but this was the type of law enforcement I grew up with. Where the cops show up at your door, and they don't really have any legal reason to arrest you, but they'll beat you up. (laughs) I'm not saying that's necessarily a good thing, but that is the type of policing that I grew up with. I knew 100% that a cop could punch me in the mouth. And I could do nothing about it. That's just the way that it was. 100% the way that it was. And I'm sure, I know now cops can kind of do that. It's a little bit harder with body cams and ATM cameras taking photos of everyone and people pulling out their cell phones. But when I grew up, I 100% knew that every interaction with the police could end with me just getting beat up. And there was no recourse to it. I had heard those stories a hundred times from friends and family members of mine where they just got beat up by the police. So I knew that that was a possibility. That was the way I grew up. So I mean, I will have to say, the police will unjustly beat people. We've unfortunately seen that. I don't think that's the case with Kenneth Law. I guess I should say now, too, this is all alleged. This is all alleged. I'll add it on to the end. What's not alleged is that he's a terrible chef. That that part 100% is true, although it might become part of his trial. It's a fascinating story. It was really interesting, too. I'm so glad I was able to find, because I kept reading all of these horrible stories about all these. Most of the articles are about the families, and they kept talking about Kenneth Law, Kenneth Law. I'm like, who is this guy, and why is he doing this? That's why I was so excited to read that article because to me that's very important what's the reason is he a suicide prophet does he want to make this stuff more available to everybody is it because he saw his mother's life prolonged far past when he thought it was necessary he thought he was doing a righteous act was it because he wanted money and he was making a lot of it a lot of money I think it may be a little bit of both of those, but I think that this job finally gave him the sense of power that he always knew he deserved. And I'm not going to say so far as that he's some sort of sicko serial killer, which I would use those words as well, but it's not like... He wanted the power of life over death. He wanted to know that these people were killing themselves. I don't think it was that. I think it was just that people admired him. People in that community, that community, the suicide aficionado, the suicide advocacy community, they knew I'm Time Cuisine. They knew the names of his businesses and people held them in very high regard for the first time in his life. Kenneth was everything he knew he was. Everything he ever dreamt about in his head where he was some big shot for the first time in his life, he truly was a big shot. He was a rock star in the community of those who wished to kill themselves. I think the money helped. I think the aspiration that, you know, maybe he's saving this young kid from dying in a pointless war somewhere out in Europe as Eastern Bloc troops pour over the French border. Who knows what's going to happen over there? It's like the 80s all over again. 
Maybe he's constantly being reminded of his mom. I think those helped. I think those kind of helped him sleep at night. But I think the main thing was, is that for the first time in his life, people needed him. They needed him. And he needed to be needed. He was no longer a braggart. He was no longer a man in his 50s who's been exiled to the cheese board. He's just arranging little pieces of cheddar and Swiss to be delivered to some hotel room somewhere. He was a big shot. He was important. He was the man who could solve all of your problems. The only issue was these people's problems were that they didn't want to live anymore. For the first time in Kenneth Law's life, he was needed. He was important. He was somebody. He was the top dog, the king. He always knew he was supposed to be. But his throne was built on the corpses of over a hundred dead kids. But for Kenneth Law, a throne of bones is still a throne. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash DeadRabbitRadio. TikTok is at DeadRabbitRadio. DeadRabbitRadio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.